Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. meeting is being recorded. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Uh, today we're going to infinity and beyond with Adam Lawrence. We're talking practical solutions for portfolio management in 2023 and beyond. Great to have you on the show, Adam. Thanks for having me again, Will. So Adam is uh, one of the leaders of the Resolve Business Retreat, which is a uh, annual retreat for um, uh, live-in for a, a week or eight days, I believe, over uh, each October. Um, he's kindly taken some time out from that. Uh, before we get into the show, uh, Adam, uh, what, what, are the, what, what are the highlights of uh, participation and, and indeed the highlights of being one of the course leaders? Well, incredible timing this year as well, Will, really, with everything that's going on. So in terms of um, what do we hope the delegates get from it and what do we make do our level best to make sure the delegates get from it clarity um an actionable plan the way forward for the next 12 months and some thoughts about beyond a pretty firm task list for the next 30 days things that need to be done you know pretty much immediately um and that's the the sort of tangibles if you like the intangibles um new relationships formed um lots of potential this year for business to be done between the group um accountability as well with each other as well as with us for six months afterwards uh overall a fresh take so for some people it's a strategic review um bit of a bit of a risk review um for some people it's especially this year with uh what we're going to be talking about today and changing rates and all the rest of it it's kind of defusing a bomb that's set in the next sort of 12 or 18 months um before it has chance to go off and cause a problem so it's a, a good collection and review of the stats and all the properties they've already got and all the projects they've got on the go and then looking at the various options that there are um and just as we're saying today, really practical ways to go forward and make sure that um, they're still in business this time next year. And not only that, but they've built on what they've got by this time next year and made some strides forward while the rest of the world might be rowing backwards a little bit. Well, And uh, for those of you not familiar with the Resolve Retreat, um, it's basically um, for uh, the, the leaders or owners of operating property businesses people who have a, um, either a, a property services business or and or a, um, a, an active property portfolio, looking to take it to the next level to make it run uh, substantially better. Some fantastic uh, success stories from the, um, the, the, the past uh, attendees. Uh, I, I know several of them personally and um, they, uh, they regard it as one of the most important sort of weeks in their business careers. So it's run by uh, Rod Turner, Sue Sims and yourself, uh, Adam Lawrence, uh, three uh, well-known, not, not just personalities, but uh, leaders within the wider property community. Uh, and um, we're going to be pushing on with the show now, uh, but check it out anytime. Um, you, you, and if you want, want further information, uh, get in touch with Adam G. Lawrence at LinkedIn, or I'd be happy to refer on uh, if appropriate. So, practical solutions for portfolio management in 2023 and beyond. 
Uh, we were joking that um, Buzz Lightyear uh, as a, uh, a superhero could be called on. Um, so uh, if you want to, to put your, um, your uh, Superman outfit on, uh, Adam, we, we, we need, need to figure out how to stay in the game first. I think we need to be careful here, Will. There might be some memes going around after uh, after that analogy with uh, you and I in various white space suits or something like that. But I'll, I'll certainly I'll certainly do my best. Well, you know, this week has been yet another week of economic turmoil, um, and <clears throat> really some some the weakest people at the very top positions in the country are being exposed which is often the way when when it hits the fan. You know, the, the Bank of England governor doesn't look up to the task. Um, you know, it's very easy to focus 100% of the attention on trust and quieting for what's gone on. And I still believe personally they need to shoulder the lion's share of the blame. Um, but I don't think that... I think the, the bank generally has done a pretty good job apart from Bailey's individual... Um, pronouncements uh, have not done what they should be doing when they need to calm the market, you know. Um, but obviously, Quarting now becomes yesterday's news as uh, he's thrown under the bus with vigour that you you haven't seen for some years, really. Um, and then the markets calm themselves down, and then the PM comes and gives a, a horrific press conference, um, and the markets ramp back up again. Uh, it couldn't be more clear in terms of the timeline of events and movements in the bond markets and the stock markets. Uh, it really is a massive vote of no confidence against her. And the message is that the problem hasn't been solved as yet. Um, but we welcome our fourth chancellor in four months, um, Jeremy Hunt, perhaps not the greatest track record as the health secretary. Um, I think well thought of within the party. It's not to me. It's not dissimilar to appointing a Michael Gove to be Chancellor. Um, but the problem is, you know, austerity is at the end of its rope, uh, and actually, it's austerity that we need today to calm the markets down. And still, austerity is being issued by uh, by Liz Truss. So. What are we going to see over the next week, month? We don't know. But what we do know is, apart from anything else, the Bank of England have delivered a financial stability report, which on the bright side says, you know, the losses, and it does specifically point out, point towards the losses of the next 12 months. The losses of the next 12 months will be able to be borne by the banking sector that is much more robust than it was in 2007, 2008. But really, from a political and humane and household perspective, um, the pain on individual households will be significant. And probably the one, you know, where I like to try and back these things up with data, the one figure that is um, probably the most concerning is that around 1.7 million households will drop off a fixed rate mortgage within the next 12 months. So, you know, a decent slug of those people were on two year fixes. So that means they fixed sometime between October 2020 and October 2021, at which point the rates were, if they're on a residential mortgage, you know, somewhere around about the 2% region, could be a bit more, could be a bit less. Um, and then, and then the rest will be uh, coming off of five, coming off. Um, okay. So, so one of the things I'd like to cover off um, today is is, a, is is four points. So, uh, how how do you stay calm um, uh, under pressure? Uh, how do you ensure that you stay in the game? Your 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 survival of your long term portfolio. Um, Rigor and numbers. Uh, how do you go go deep with your uh, your spreadsheets, your analysis, your thinking, uh, and restacking of your capital stacks going forward? Uh, how much equity uh, is you know going to be sensible? 
Um, and how can you make deals uh, deals again effectively? Because yeah. uh, the most yeah. common thing I've heard in property investment circles uh, in the last week is the deal doesn't work. Well, I think it's like it always is in these sorts of situations where ultimately uh, things have changed. And I've seen this in my own my own investment group over the past right. two and a half years, and quite half. significantly, where ultimately things that used to work don't work anymore. Um, so that's meant uh, not necessarily an entire strategic overhaul, but certainly really significant tactical changes in particularly how we get deals in um and then some of it has been some tweaks in asset management decisions um and some of them have been definitely at the at the strategic level but part of that i'd probably put to number one being open-minded and number two sort of going back to basics so i would say i'm keen not to tell everyone that they've got to uh, get involved in numbers at a level of detail that might make a fairly large percentage of the people listening to this switch off really well. I think you absolutely do need to know your numbers within your businesses. And this is something we've covered this week. Um, most of that in reality is actually setting up correct levels of reporting. So we want to make sure that we have um, charts of accounts set up, understanding who's doing the bookkeeping, meaningful management accounts every month or every quarter. Sometimes monthly is not the best way to look at an investment company because not too much happens. We don't want to spend too much time focusing on it. But quarterly, what are we looking at? And then what are we looking at? You know, next 12 months will also be about cash flow, generally speaking. So an example of one of the exercises we've carried out this week is forecasting towards what then happens when these fixed rate mortgages drop off? What loan to values are we going to have to go to? Um, what sort of interest rates might we be paying? How do we smooth out those risks going forward? So if we have got the whole portfolio dropping off fixed rates in the next 12 months, then what sort of term do we look at putting those on um, there's already been some relatively clever financial engineering from the product teams in various lenders where they've loaded a bit more onto the fee and suppressed the uh, the rental figures the um sorry the monthly mortgage figures so they can charge a bit less which will help pass stress tests and rent coverage tests and things like that um, but they'll still get their rates of return from the enhanced product fees. So that's that's one of the things sort of in detail that we've covered. So, I mean, at the first level, I think it's the old, how do we eat the elephant one bite at a time? So we've got to see what the problem might be. We've got to look into the future because as investors, we're always looking into the future anyway. We've got to look at our cash flow specifically, and then we've got to look at every single asset. And then some pretty basic decisions, really, that we can boil this down to, Will. Number one, can we sweat it harder? Right, And we're going to look at this before we consider disposals and things like that. So can we sweat it harder? Is the rent at the market level? And that's going to be a tough conversation for people at the moment, but that's where it is. Um, you don't want to put pressure on your tenants, but ultimately, if it's going to send you out of business, what would you rather do? Tenants are then going to have to move anyway, and it's probably going to end up in a worse position. So if single let simply isn't going to work because of the, the environment, do you have to look towards HMO? Do you have to look towards short let accommodation or serviced accommodation? Those are the basic ways in which you can sweat those assets harder. There might be a subcategory of some of those groups. So, for example, social housing HMO, is it, time, is it a good time to get involved in a three or a five-year lease or a seven-year lease? Um, you kind of alluded to it earlier, Will. There's equity 
you know, at the moment, we're in a, a pretty privileged position. I, I don't think as any property investor should not be taking into context the last couple of years, which we've discussed, Will, since the uh, beginning of the pandemic, 26% rise in house prices. <clears throat> that gives a lot of flexibility. It, it, it's very easy to look like an expert in those conditions. <laughs> yeah, well, a rising tide carries all boats, things like that, my friend, as you well know. So that that's a, a phenomenal figure and that gives us room to either be you know if it was worth 100 it's worth 126 if you owed 75 you still owe 75 75 over 126 shade under 60 percent right so we've only got 60 percent ltv to cover um on the average property that we consider that we've owned for sort of two two and a half years um, that doesn't put us in a terrible underwater position. Uh, and uh, and the, the yields, uh, the, the rental numbers uh, are up by um, fairly significant, um, or new rental numbers in particular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard to uh, to get the, the exact data because the ONS tends to, the ONS's data tends to underestimate all of this. But even on the, the ONS data that takes in the new and existing, we're still looking at about a seven percent rent rise in in the interim in that time, um, but as you correctly say, new new tenancies are tending to come out about eighteen to twenty percent higher than they were uh, pre first uh, of March twenty twenty. Let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think the uh, the restacking of uh, how you approach a new deal. Um, uh, I think we were talking before the show. Um, just because a deal uh, doesn't uh, doesn't work at twenty five percent equity, sometimes it can work at fifty. And people say, "Well, you can't do that. You can't. You can do it at one hundred percent equity um, if it works for the people uh, involved." Absolutely, and also, you know, we 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 brought on sort of the capital stack and how that deal comes together. So. Certainly at the larger level of deals, you know, there's, I can't remember seeing as many portfolios for sale as there are at the moment, Will. Um, there's an option for the vendor to leave some money in the deal. If what they want to do is crystallise that big gain, um, then perhaps perhaps that's a, something that needs to be considered as part of the stack. So, uh, and it depends what's going on at the moment. The development financing and the bridging financing is not really costing any more money than it was. Um, they're happy with um, a relatively smaller margin because they know they a they still want to get the money out the door, um, and b they're confident at the moment about uh, hopefully not having to recover too many assets because what we're not looking at in reality is a financial Armageddon or a bloodbath. We are looking at a significant amount of pain. But remember, we've touched on this before. Will those 1.7 million households on a fixed rate dropping off in the next 12 months? Pretty much all of those have been stress tested at five and a half percent pay rate. Yeah. So pay rate on resi mortgages is touching sort of six at the moment. So we're half a percent above that pay rate, or <clears throat> another way of looking at it, half a percent on five and a half. So we're about 11% above uh, the pay rate. Now, what people have done with that excess money they were stress tested against, you know. We can we can pretty much speculate. We don't know, but there'll be a percentage that have saved it. There'll be the, the most conservative percentage that have paid down their mortgage with extra money because that's how they would have liked to have got into it. So they will have obviously put themselves in a stronger position. Almost all of those 1.7 million will have on some form of capital repayment. So they'll have paid off one to two percent of their loans. Again, that doesn't necessarily help too much. But if we go back to the original analogy, the 75s are now at 60% loan to value. Yeah. Some of them will have, at the, at the other end of the spectrum, some of them will have spent all the extra money on going out and having a good time every month, especially post-pandemic, where they felt they were cooped up for some time or whatever. Um, uh, uh, my saving. Instagram feed uh, is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> household savings balances are still in better shape than they were first of March 2020, that hasn't all been suddenly magically spent yet or sucked up by inflation um, quite yet. But of course, this is the spectre hanging around in the background where we still need inflation to be brought back under control. 
so that we can sort ourselves out. Um, and that's... And, and you have to you have to laugh, like, um, how did a 10% inflation um, level come off the front pages? Well, indeed, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing, and that's quite dangerous. It's not the got, big economic news at the moment. <laughs> and that's dangerous, that's dangerous when you've got a Liz Truss in charge, right, because she's, she's prone to possibly forgetting that that inflation control is, is not one of the very largest issues that we face. And she's also prone to sort of say, well, that's the bank's job to sort that out. Uh, yeah, but if you directly implement policies that would be inflationary at this time, you're giving the bank a clear message that they need to basically work against fiscal policy. And that's that's effectively what happened in, in Kwarteng's um, fiscal event of last month, Will. It was kind of a, we're working on our own, you're working on your own. You want to be independent. Well, off you go. Off you go. Get on with it. And it's like, it's just completely the wrong way to do these things. But there we go. So, so in, in terms of uh, three quick points on staying in the game, survival over the um, you know the, the next sort of one to two years. What what are the three key points in your your mind? Well, um, I would say cash flow is always going to protect you. So we've kind of touched on the sweat the assets harder, yeah? Um, if you have, if you are, for example, over leveraged or overexposed on floating rates, guess what? Good news, the market hasn't died overnight because it never does, you know? Even in 2008, there was a, a big stretch of a period where things went a lot quieter. Um, volume of transactions dropped significantly as a lot of buyers pulled back because they don't want to catch the falling knife and all the rest of it. But the transactions sort of go down 35, 40%. They don't not sell. So quality products still sell. There's still lots of motivated buyers out there, Will. Uh, we often talk and focus on motivated sellers at our end of the equation because we're looking to buy assets. But there's still lots of motivated buyers um, whose ability to buy has only been curtailed by about 11%, that difference between the five and a half and the 6%, right? So um, ninth biggest lender in the UK, Bank of Mum and Dad is still well capitalized, right? So that comes back to your point around, do we revisit the equity amount needed in order to get people on ladders? Um, there's an awful lot of growth in assets that haven't been crystallized, whether that's via equity release, for people, for example, or whether that's by cashing in pensions or whether that's by, you know, cashing in ISAs and, and other, other savings instruments that households tend to use. Um, so it's not as bleak as all that looks at, at this time. You know, I think I saw uh, Martin Lewis on a, on a show, The Money Saving Expert, um, and, and basically he fluffed it a little bit, if I'm honest with you. But he did say he does understand that what he says can have a really material impact these days, which is, of course, true, because he's a very influential person. And he said his opinion basically was if you like the house that you're buying um, and you can afford it and you're putting it, especially at the moment, he didn't make this point. But really what he should have said a little bit is if you've secured one of these rates at two, three, four percent and you know, residential mortgage offers tend to last for six months, so there's still plenty of people transacting on that basis go through with it because you're going to save quite a lot of money over the two or ideally five-year terms that you've got right so you know, factor in that you know what's the saving between the rent and the mortgage if you're a first-time buyer and then what's the saving between your pay rate and the new pay rate of six percent um if you weren't sure about it in the first place it might be a better idea to pull out so pretty sort of basic decision-making process that is uh, putting people through, but it's good It's good to communicate. On a, on and a that, that sort of shifting of mindset um, was apparent. I, I was at um, Partners in Property London uh, during the week. Um, great turnout. There must have been 50, 60 property investors uh, there that, that invested the day. Uh, it's one of the best things that, that I, I, I do each month. Um, but several several people came up to me um, where they had um, a, a couple of hundred thousand that they were putting into a deal, and the deal didn't stack. 
and they wanted to know was there another deal or could they join up in a bigger deal um but basically uh like their plans had changed and these are these people who have reasonable size portfolios have uh you know access to lots of information that most people wouldn't um and and it, it was like a a shift what to do next yeah. Uh, yeah so staying in the game and and having that capital allocation because there's a I, I think there's a um there's a lot of people who were perhaps sitting on their hands looking for the right time um and their their perception is the deals are not there yeah and, and there can be a little bit of a lag in these situations to an extent will because the problem is people can sort of get together and convince themselves they've got to wait till the bottom of the market whereas these markets really don't work like that the the language that has been used in negotiation of deals over the last few weeks um really since the mourning period for the queen's passing ended i would say there's a lot of vendors who are already extremely bearish right again that will be a spectrum of feelings and emotion very few of them will be doing it based on data and figures and what's actually happening so you know when there is a price crunch or and or a credit crunch and or a scarcity of uh, or an unwillingness for buyers to press forward what you find is it can take impact very quickly but show itself quite slowly because this is where sort of price and value will um will diverge from one another so value might go down more than price transacted because what people actually do in real life is they do hunker down and if you if you're in that camp of you know i spend way more money every month than my mortgage stress test allowed me to do and i've expanded into my lifestyle it comes back to that back to basics use a bit of budgeting software i recommend the pen and paper if you're not big into smartphone apps and things like that if you do like smartphone apps there's some very cool ones that you can you can use to help you budget um there's one called snoop for example that looks into your financials and says pops up some helpful things like you might be able to switch your utility bill although at the moment that's a little bit of a redundant one but it's just the example that came to mind it tells you about average spends versus other people and it looks back and it helps you with um with tracking things like if you say your budget for uh socializing is 200 quid a month and then the last three months you've spent 700 800 and 750 it tells you to be more realistic with stuff like that um it also will help you identify areas where you might be able to keep the pencil a little bit sharper so there's a i think an acceptance <clears throat> that there'll need to be some uh, lifestyles curtailed and some some uh, some corners sharpened up a little bit and I think if you're lucky enough to be outside of that then that's absolutely great um I'd recommend you you book holidays as far in advance as you can because inflation is still biting very hard so uh, a crash in the price of uh, going abroad is not likely and look will one of the things that and you know on on the retreat and and through partners in property, met with lots of people who've had or have a great business trading business or a consult a great self-employment role they're consultants or whatever and they can put money into property investment too and then they've got that option especially in a job market like this to hunker down take a few days work a week maybe um there's no shame in that and uh, sweating their human capital for a bit because it might be the best use of their time while they wait for some things to happen um, or might mm. plug any gaps that, you know, <clears throat> we looked at a portfolio this week, cash flowing 5K a month. Um, <clears throat> at some point next year, without taking any action, that'll go down to cash flowing about 1,300 quid a month because of the stark difference in interest rates. Um, and then we went through the actions that were needed in order to not let that happen. So asset managing the rents to realistic levels, repurposing some of the assets uh, as i was saying in terms of hmo or, or short let <clears throat> um restructuring so 
the old equity levels, the old LTVs are going to be a fair bit lower. And disposing of one of the properties by going line by line, one of the properties at the moment has no positive cash flow anyway. So mm -hmm. there's a limited point in holding on to it because it's experienced more like 35% capital growth in the last couple of years. So, <clears throat> and the market where it is is still warm enough for that, that house to trade well. It's a, it's a, a prime asset in a, a less salubrious area. But the, mm -hmm. best stuff, the, be, the best stuff would always sell in these markets. That's something for people to remember. If you're delivering a product here, you're going to have to work hard to be at the top of the tree because you want those motivated buyers. You want those aspirational buyers if you're developing property to sell. And then on the back of that, one of the big things that we've, we've had to sort of communicate, I suppose, is that at the moment, if you're developing property, then if, you, if your exit does not include a way for you to hold on to it, and as you've correctly said, part of that might be leaving some more equity in the deal, right? Part of that might be the vendor being paid when the last house is sold or whatever. However you keep that, that skin in the game, um, that's what ultimately you need to look at. If it doesn't work, you might not want to hold these assets, Will, but if it doesn't work as a hold at the moment, then the risk level has gone through the roof. So you need to be looking at new margins, which are expanded, you know? And at that point, um, like, you know, the, uh, in these times, uh, you'll often hear people celebrating doing deals, um, but they're, they're talking about how their margin was cut to the bone. Don't do the deal. <laughs> This is it. We've got the information now to see. Um, and, you know, across all the things that, that Rod and I are involved in, including Boardroom Club, we've been seeing this over the last few weeks. We start with a bit of uncertainty. We talk through some of the strategies and tactics in order to have sensible, meaningful, realistic and ethical renegotiation conversations with vendors. Um, our best result so far is one of our guys who saved £315,000 um, and that was renegotiating the rate with the lender back to the original rate that he was offered that they tried to pull and it was also renegotiating with the vendor to get a new price that reflected the economic conditions that we're going into. So fairly good return on his. He's had a pretty good week, Will. Um, but joking aside, you know, those many, many of our, our guys and, and girls have had pretty, pretty uh, robust conversations and either have pulled out of deals that weren't looking like they stacked anyway or saved themselves a, a massive amount of money. Um, so it's been a, a fantastic result, really. OK, so staying calm under pressure. Um, <clears throat> the, um, plenty of pressure headed our way. Uh, for all for the majority of people who are in uh, property investment. Um, what, what are three practical tips for uh, staying calm? Now, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of meditation and uh, making sure you get a little bit of exercise every day. Um, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's... Um... I think we've got to we've got to just press the woo woo button for a couple of minutes here, Will. Probably so. The first one I would encompass in what you've just said, and I would recommend to anyone who hasn't read it at least maybe not to read the book, but at least read about the principles of the miracle morning. Now I'm not advocating five a.m. club here or four thirty a.m. or whatever, whatever. What I'm saying is read about the principles of the concept, right? So. The things that you've mentioned there, meditation or mindfulness, uh, is one, one of the five cornerstones of the miracle morning philosophy. <clears throat> and again, from a, I'm, I'm a pretty pragmatic, um, not particularly uh, happy, clappy sort of guy, right, Well, But what Hal Elrod has done, who wrote the miracle morning, is he's stripped back the five areas of commonality that he saw in the habits of very successful and or very wealthy people right so meditation mindfulness that's a biggie exercise that's a biggie um affirmations um that's a biggie in terms of repeating things to yourself goals that you want to achieve and all the rest of it 
visualization mm -hmm. so quite literally using your mind to picture yourself perhaps you're trying to lose weight and you picture yourself slimmer than than you are right now um perhaps you want to get fitter and you picture yourself running to the top of the steps like him rocky when he when he makes it in uh, in philadelphia right that it the visualization can maybe you want to find yourself in a um a property by the by the seaside in 10 years time visualization right um gratitude or um journaling uh, or scribing i think as he, he calls it so write down the three things that you're grateful for every morning right again can sound a bit cheesy but there's logic behind all of this stuff and it doesn't mean you need to do it every morning it doesn't mean you need to get up at five o'clock you understand the philosophy of it and it changes your mindset if your mindset needs changing um and then we've done cumulatively those things uh, basically get your head up you're feeling a bit better about the world uh you see opportunities you you're you're running into the day rather than uh you know hiding under the duvet at the other extreme <laughs> exactly will and then the last one of the miracle morning the, the, the half a dozen principles or so um is reading so read a page of a book a day or the equivalent is you know, what's takes to read a page of a book, you know, 90 seconds, maybe listen to 90 seconds of an audio book. If that's what you'd rather do, it could be a YouTube video. It could be, you know, again, broaden it out to suit yourself. So those principles, I think, are, are good for anybody to apply. And it doesn't mean you have to burn the incense and, you know, put the smoking jacket on and get into the lotus position or whatever. If that's what you want to do. Then that's cool. Um, but there are, there are a number of ways to approach that and put it into your life because what it does is it helps put things into context for you, right? And that would then move me on towards point number two. Um, and point number two would be don't worry about what you can't control. And if you want to understand how to do that, then I'd refer you back to point one and some of the strategies with, um, within that that help you cope with these sorts of things. So, so someone, someone explained this in a... Um, a a really good way to me once where uh, how you get stressed is you have lots of things in your mind at once. It's not that necessarily just that one single thing uh, is going on and, and your, um, your ability to empty your mind out long enough to look at one thing at a time and, and think about what the, uh, what can I do from here? Nothing. Well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to park that for a little while and, and go and do uh, put my attention, my focus on something else. Well, well, one of the things we have to talk about here is ultimately how do you, you know, let's not start from a place where stress is this terrible thing, right? Stress keeps human beings going, right? We like a bit of stress. Now, some people will be at the lower end of the spectrum on that. Some people will be at much at the, the very highest end of the spectrum. Um, you could be dysfunctional at both ends of that spectrum, right? You've got to put yourself somewhere in the middle and be honest with yourself. You know, smartwatches measure these things, these things like stress. You can measure it really simply. Just write down first thing in the morning and before bed or take a note on your phone or whatever you want to do. How stressed are you feeling out of 10? And then to continue that exercise, what you might do is take the, the concept that you've just said, write down the three, four, five, six, seven, ten things that are swimming around in your head and then go through them systematically and say, right, well, I'm not in control of that one. Well, I can actually take some action on that one. So what I really need to do is pick up the phone and talk to a couple of people, right? Or write an email or whatever. Start the hairs running on solving some of those problems. So one of the things that we've also discussed this week is using productivity tactics, things like the, the Ivy Lee method, which we've mentioned before, Will, where you'll write down three to six things you're going to achieve that day. And it doesn't have to be climb Everest, right? It can be make sure that those documents have gone in the post, right? That, mm -hmm. As simple as that. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're ticking off there, you're, one, you're ticking off what you've done, you're feeling good about what you've done, and you're writing your list for the next day. And then everything else that happens kind of fits around that. And that gives you a lift. You know, you've got the feeling of accomplishment, a feeling of productivity. You've prioritized when you've written that list. There's lots and lots of good things sort of hidden and layered within that method. 
and like always with these with these little little bits and bobs and hints and tips and hacks and whatever, the simple ones are the best. Right? We don't mm-hmm. need some huge convoluted explanation. So those probably those two are the, are the really key ones. Will I think? Um, I guess the third one is put things into context. Property is a fairly slow moving asset. You know, you don't need you know go to bed right, sleep well, have another look in the morning, see what's changed. Effectively, it'll be nothing, right? Put that into context and think, right, I'm going to fix some of these problems. Some of them can be fixed this week. Some of them can be fixed this month, this quarter. Some of them will be fixed this year or or over the next two years. So what do we want to do? As we said earlier on, we want to stay in the game, right? So where do where does our mind drag us downwards where there are unknowns can we make those unknowns known with something like a cash flow forecast for example if you can't do it yourself if you don't want to do it yourself pay a bookkeeper to do it right get your information repository in order right but don't don't turn you know fear is always about almost always the fear of something happening is worse than it actually happening and that applies in the stock market in a massive, massive way. And this is what some vendors will do in the next few months, 12 months, whatever. This is a, a, a really, really practical exercise, just following on. And that, that's, those are excellent points. Thank you. Um, appropriate focus. You can either be focused internally or externally. You can have a broad internal focus or a narrow internal focus. You can have, and, and this applies within your, your portfolio. Uh, and equally, you can have a broad external focus or a narrow external focus. And uh, th- just, just to illustrate that quickly, you can think about the whole property market or you can think about one property deal and any, any extreme in between. You can think about uh, your overall asset position or you can think about one line item within a, a single property, yeah. any extreme in between. What's yeah. the appropriate focus at a given time? It probably should be on all of those things over the course of a week or two, but yeah, being like able that. to shift in, in and out. I like that a lot. I think that's some, some sage words there, my friend. Uh, well, I got them from a, um, an American uh, sports coach uh, I, I met while I was at university in New Zealand, uh, a guy called Bob Bishop. He was the uh, New Zealand men's basketball coach at the time, uh, but an academic um, uh, psychologist. Um, and I, I, I was eating my lunch in uh, the rec centre in the student union, and I, I got chatting to him, and he explained um uh, the, the basis of focus and appropriate focus. And what I, I, I described was essentially... Uh, what he described about within a basketball game. Uh, you just apply it to your property portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot, a lot of really great um, interaction between sports and business in general. Absolutely. So I love that. And, and I, you know, I, I became, um, I, from, uh, from being a below average rugby player, I became an average rugby player. So I, thanks, Bob Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> So um, okay, so rigor and numbers, three three hitless things we can we can cover. Well, as I was I was just sort of saying then, really building on that third point of last time, it isn't about um, being highly numerate, you know, doing your own books, um, logging into zero every five minutes. If anything, I would I would advocate very much against that because that won't drive the right sort of behaviours. But, you know, you need to think about what you're measuring because, you know, cheesy old management saying, but it's a really good one. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? So you've got no idea on the performance. That comes back to how do you know you're doing a good job? So how motivational can that possibly be for you, right? You worry about what you can't control. You worry about what you don't know. You you worry because there's a knowledge gap. There's a a known unknown, if you like. That's a, a lot of what fear and worry is about, right? Without going full Donald Rumsfeld at this point, will, um, and it, it can be your bookkeeper, your accountant, your business partner, your uh, your passive business partner. You know, your your life partner who isn't involved in your business. Those people can all help. Can on, all this help on this front. 
and you can have a have a chat through the figures and um everything that's um concerning you but you need to know what those figures are so you've got to be able to know where you're capturing the data from um you've got to know um what how you're categorizing that data or how the bookkeeper is categorizing that data and you've got to then understand how to interpret that data and instead of not even being able to look back because you don't know what's gone on first of all start to collate and build and look back and then work out how you look forward how do you forecast what are your expectations of that particular spv particular house that particular investment that, that down to the the granularity of the house level over the next quarter year etc um where did the problems happen you know you can calm yourself down in a lot of ways by by looking at this stuff and drinking it in and getting some meaningful it might be you're not a numbers person at all you know get some meaningful reporting from the people around you spend a bit of money on it you know so that you you can spend that because what what price do you put on your own health and and de-stressing and what price can you put on making a good decision you know we we help people all the time who are making decisions that are making a difference of 50 grand 100 grand 500 grand ridiculous levels of numbers um and obviously you need clarity and, and quality decision making in those situations will so that probably covers a, a couple of different points there um over the course of that but someone needs to know these things right someone needs to know these numbers um otherwise you you risk being the busy fool yeah do you want to keep working for more years than you need to you know are you doing this for for charity are you doing this for third parties that you don't even know or should you first of all look at how you can maximize what you've got before you worry that you can't expand your portfolio because the old methodologies of buying property suddenly don't work anymore which which isn't true by the way um it absolutely isn't true so um it might just mean you need to do some tweaking and on the positive side there might be some opportunities to use some tools out of the toolkit that haven't been used for some years you know so it's uh, sharpening yourself back up um keeping abreast of, of situations you know a lot of property and in fact a lot of business is not about these incredibly high level um macroeconomic things that i will gladly pontificate about all day will it's about some relatively simple decision gateways it's about taking action um it's about not burying your head in the sand and it's about you can't abdicate responsibility from knowing the numbers in a business you absolutely can't because how do you measure that you've had a good time what do you do around the time when you need to deliver a tax return um find the right pegs for the right holes will in in that department in the in the finance department in your business if you don't have a finance director guess what you are the finance director right so what would the finance director do they would task their reports to deliver information to them in a meaningful and timely fashion so if you're the reports as well as the finance director task yourself to deliver information to yourself at the tactical level and then take a strategic look at that information and ask yourself uh, i think a key question is would you hire you uh, to do that job yeah great question great question or would you what would you invest in a, in a business that had hired someone like you to do that job yeah yeah and or what's the value and you have invested in that business uh, by definition yeah yeah what's the hourly rate of that job what's the market price for that job being done by somebody else do you yeah. want to be doing a job that someone else can do for 25 quid an hour is that where your business is at is that where you want your business to be at is that what you need to do at the moment ask all of those if you do you can go and educate yourself right mm -hmm. there's always an answer out of all and, and the 25 quid an hour uh, could be a a five hour time saving for you what you can't do is say oh do you know what i'm not very good at numbers okay last point restacking the capital stack yeah so um, what, what does that mean firstly in, in in simple language so when we talk about the capital stack we're generally the best way i've ever heard it explained is, is about 
thinking about property like an airplane, thinking about, and this is usually used in development, but it applies across all, all properties, really. There'll be a number which is the, the senior debt, as we call it, the highest ranking debt, usually or almost always accompanied by a first charge, right? That'll usually be about 50 to 65% of the deal, um, depending on um, the, the, the conservative nature of the lender, apart from anything else. And then say between 50 and about 75, so it might be, or even 80, that might be what we would call the stretched senior. Um, so the bigger the deal gets, the, the generally the smaller loan to value the stretch senior starts as so that would normally be the second charge but of course quite often one lender provides the senior and the stretch senior it wraps up in one loan yeah then when we move beyond that level we talk about the mes or the mezzanine um that's more expensive debt so that's stretching even further might be a third charge on mes or it might just be personal guarantees and debentures um that normally take us up to about 90% of the stack, Will, but it can take us up to about 98 if you've got great track records, great relationships with lenders, good understanding of these sorts of things. And then the final 2 to 10% will be the equity. It doesn't mean that it has to be put in as equity because it can still be done as debt. But whenever you're using 100% funding, at any time you're exposing yourself to a significant level of risk, and actually, as times get more risky, it is inevitably more sensible to consider sharing equity rather than taking on more debt. It's a very basic, um, a basic principle. And if things work out, as hopefully they will do, you may end up giving a bit more of the profit away. But it should be looked at as profit versus risk taken. Um, that's the way risk adjusted returns are really the, the key in any investment, because we can go for an investment in the casino, Will, where we've got 100%, we've got a 50% probability of failure and a 50% probability of 100% return, yeah? That's just red or black on the roulette wheel or whatever, you know? Um, probably not considered to be an investment by most. Um, so we need to consider uh, the risks that we've taken as well. So those numbers and those needles and those rates are moving. Um, and need to move. And wh where can you bring people into parts of that capital stack, right? You might find <clears throat> you've got lent, you might need to slice the deal down yourself and work out, well, actually, at 60% loan to value, then I can get this rate, which is reasonably competitive at the moment, let's say, or even at 50% loan to value. What have I got left to secure against? If I can't secure it, where can I get the money from? So can I borrow it? Can I get it from the vendor? As we've talked about earlier on, can we bring in the, the concept of the vendor finance? Vendor finance is always on the table in any environment. It's just that it's not necessarily widely used when things are going up nicely and banks are falling themselves over themselves to lend money at very cheap rates and all the rest of it. Or to your point already well made, Will, do you just have to put more equity in yourself? Have you got to put more skin in the game? It's not that attractive leaving money in the bank at the moment. Um, you know, we've talked a number of times over the past sort of seven, eight months about ratios of fixed debt, floating debt, cash balance, cash balance, liquid cash balance available. Really depends where you are in that cycle. You know, I've tightened up. And also, like, like what the value that you're looking to create into the future is, like a, a deal that uh, might have a uh, look, look at a, um, a certain certain point today. You go forward, you're, you're looking to do things either on paper or uh, within the, the property to increase the value. What's the, what, what's the, the cost to get to that point? And, and then what's the net uplift? How do you split that up? And is that is that worth the, the time, effort and risk involved? That's ultimately what you always have to ask yourself before you go, when you assess a deal. You know, when you look at the net present value of a deal, as, as one would do in, uh, if you're running a company or similar, which of course you are, you're running an investment company. Most of the people listening to this will be running investment companies. They might think not think about it like that, but they absolutely are, you know? 
So all of that's got to be taken into account. Um, so I think there's there's some really interesting some really interesting bits in there around around the capital stack and you know you go go back to basics a little bit. Will I talk about the the triple crown um, when I consider investment property? I'm looking for discount. I'm looking for yield. And I'm looking for capital growth, right? Capital growth outlook doesn't look that good over the next two years. Um, I don't want to be the guy that's predicted nine of the last two recessions or whatever. I'm usually very, very cautious on this stuff. But there's a mathematical racing certainty about recession coming up here. That doesn't mean we go with any precursors about what might or might not happen to the housing market. We've got ultimate instability at the very top of the financial institutions at the moment, as we discussed at the top of the show here. Um, so anything anything could happen, anything could be on the cards, but my own capital growth forecasts are poor for the next couple of years. So what does that mean? Well, it means we want some either, ideally both, some more discount or some more yield, right? So that's where we have to, that's where we have to find that solace. And you've already said it during this, this pod, Will, you know, if it doesn't stack up anymore, why are you asking me about it? <laughs> if it doesn't stack up, it doesn't stack up. We've either got a release, we've got to renegotiate, um, we've got to reconsider, and it's very difficult for us to, you know, follow the same path. But I can guarantee people who pick up property assets over the next 24 months, if they've done solid deals, they're just worried that the market's going to go down. And what's the worst I've seen so far? 40%? Someone's been suggesting 40%. It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of the, the capital stack of the whole of the UK, Will, in terms of how much is unencumbered. <laughs> and, and there are a third of the um, third of the residential property assets have no mortgage or debt against them. 36% actually, at the last count, 36%. So a little, little over. So over a third, yeah. You know how, how pedantic I like to be in these situations as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Which is a clear ten percent rise. Wow! <laughs> I was going to say that, but I didn't want to didn't want to hammer the point home too much. But again, you go to the the twenty eight percent of home of owner occupiers that are encumbered. You know, again, their average loan to value is sticking somewhere around the forty percent mark, because a lot of them have been in the property for a long time, paid down the bulk of their mortgage. You know, we have a tendency to think like investors. We're Historically, we've been leveraging a lot of stuff to 75%. That's been the number for the last decade or so, right? But as we've already said, anything you've done two years or more ago is already leveraged to under 60% loans of value. So you're, you're in maybe, goes back to the robustness of the numbers, Will. You know, I've tried to use quite a lot of leverage quite aggressively. I can't get to 60% loans of value because we use some using five-year fixes with the market being the way that it is, by the time I get to the end of a five-year fix, if we look at what's happened since I did these figures the other week, you know, I think it was about 40% uplift in five years. So you go back to the example we used some time ago, 100K property becomes 140, you owed 75 against it. You're at, what's that, 50, 52 and a half loan to value or something like that? Pretty phenomenal stuff, right? Pretty phenomenal, pretty phenomenal, low, very low risk, no precedent has ever been set whereby that's been anywhere near in trouble um, on anybody's metrics, as long as you're controlling the, the interest rate, as long as you're asset managing the rental income, um, you're in reasonably good shape, you know? Just a, a couple of resources that people can uh, tap into. If you go into the UK Property World um, Facebook group, um, it, it's a private group, doesn't cost anything to join. Um, but you, you've got to uh, apply to get in. Uh, there's a, a fantastic uh, range of videos on um, portfolio management uh, and, and growing a, a property portfolio, the four pillars indeed. Um, and you can find that in the guide section. There's an icon at the top of the, the Facebook group. Um, many, many hours of content. Um, uh, it doesn't cost anything. Um, if you want a more targeted um, resource, you can access it for seven pounds a month through the, the partners-property.com uh, website. I, I think that's what a digital membership is 
is going for at the moment. Is it seven pounds plus VAT? I believe it is seven plus that will, yeah. Okay, so so under a tenner currently. Uh, we, we don't know what will be happening with the tax changes this week. <laughs> Um, Adam Lawrence, always a pleasure. I'm Will Mallard. This is My Property World Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me again. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together, whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.